Sunday morning, reaching towards the afternoon, and me bopping in my ACU. And I'm on my way to church with a double cup. Yeah, I'm on my way to church. Hold up, bulk up, show no shame in Jesus' name, man. When I say hold that shame, I mean hold that shame up high to the point you wearing it. You already wearing that jacket, you better wear it because they already pointing at you. They already know what you're about. They already got something to say. But it's going to come a point in time real soon if you stay tuned to where they're going to be like, hey, what that thing that you used to wear all the time? Oh, you talking about that shame? Oh, I had to go in there and sell that back to the devil, homeboy, upon it real quick. You did. <laughs> and it's just that real. And so the doors of the church are open. You can come as you are. This is Church with a Double Cup. And I am none other than your brother, XL Wilbur, reporting to you live from your side. Thank you all for joining me once again this week. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. And for you, I need to let you know that this is the Bible study podcast that questions God. And before you guys run off because you ain't sure what I'm talking about when I say that, dig what I'm saying? When it comes to the word of God, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. The same way we read God's word don't understand it is the same way we sit in the classroom when teachers teaching and we really don't understand it most of the time. We have to raise our hands and ask questions. I feel like God is in that same boat. He wants us to ask him questions. He wants communication. He wants to have that interaction with us. So this is what it's all about. Every week, we break a chapter down, brick by brick, verse by verse. We do historical facts. We address opinions. We address theories, but we do not go off of them. We put word on word to connect the dots, put the puzzle together, find out what God's really telling us in these texts, and to learn God's nature. So there we go. You can be a new believer. You can be a person getting back into the word. You can be a person who's trying to come debunk the word. I'm welcoming all forms of life to this one right here because God is in it and the Holy Spirit is working. So with that being said, that every great Bible study has to start with what I like to call a word of prayer. So if you are so inclined, please join me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for another day's journey. Thank you for allowing us to get to this point where we're able to come together and rightly divide the word of truth. This season, holiday season, it's lost a lot of its meaning, but we're here to do that very thing, to come back to the reason for the season. And that's celebrate the birth of your son, the savior of our souls, the savior of the world. So we pray that the Holy Spirit shows up right now. We know he's going to show up right now because it was Jesus' gift to us to help us understand what it is you're telling us. God, you want that relationship with us. You want us to lose the religion. So we're coming here to build relationship. We're coming here to learn more about you even if we don't really seek the relationship as somebody who wants to debunk the word. So either way it goes, Lord, you are giving us knowledge. You're giving us information and in the, in the meantime, Lord, just give us covering, give us wisdom, allow us to have a receptive heart, receptive mind, open ears and open eyes. In the name of Jesus, I'm grateful. Amen. And as we continue the reason series here on Church with a Double Cup, this is our December series talking about the reason for the season, the whole reason we celebrate this holiday season, and that's because of Jesus' birth. We're talking about a chapter that foretells his birth as it did a couple episodes ago with Isaiah 7. It's a foretelling. It's a prophecy. Jesus is not even born yet. He's not even on earth yet. And it's foretelling of Jesus' birth. So with that being said, it starts with nevertheless in chapter 9, which is like a continuance. So I have like, oh, I have to do the diligence for those of us who are really trying to study this thing. So I'm taking you back to Isaiah 7 to give you some backstory. So Isaiah 7, King Ahaz was being chased down by two kings. They was ready to take his head off to the point where him and his people were shook. So God sent Isaiah to talk to King Ahaz. And God pretty much said, hey, yo, I'm going to help you out. We ain't been on the same team. You ain't been on my side for a while. You've been doing things and worshiping other God, doing all this other stuff, adhering to the things of the people around you. But I'm going to save you from these kings. 
and I want you, if you need a sign, name how big you want your sign to be. And King Ahaz was like, nah, man, I'm straight. I ain't going to do you like that. And some people would be like, man, I go ahead and take that straight out the back. God, show me how big you are. And other people were like, nah, I wouldn't test God like that either. Whatever your preference. King Ahaz, playing as they said, whatever his reason was, he was like, nah, I'm not going to test God. But God's like, all right, listen, son. I told you I'm going to save you, and I'm going to show you a sign anyway. So he said, the son's going to be born to a virgin. And he pretty much said, Emmanuel, God with us. He said, that's what he, he said, that's the sign. That was the sign of Jesus. He's telling him that's the sign. But at the same time, he told him before that child is old enough to make moral decisions, the kings that you, you're running from right now, their kingdoms will be rubble. Is basically what he told him. But even, at, at, even after that, he had to give him warning because King Ahaz was looking to Assyria for assistance with this whole thing in fighting these kings. And he said, Assyria going to be the ones turn you down, going to be the ones that take you down, not turn you down, but take you down. They're going to have your men wearing miniskirts. And you gotta, y'all got to go back to that episode to see that full context as to what it was going down. Because that chapter basically ended off with him telling him, you trust Assyria, this is what's going to happen to you. You think they're the ones that's going to save you, but they're the ones that's going to serve you. You dig what I'm saying? <laughs> so, as we go into chapter 8, to give you some context, into chapter 9, chapter 8, I'm going to give you some honorable mentions. And it starts off in verse 3 of chapter 8 of Isaiah, where Isaiah's son's name being prophecy to what's about to go down. So in verse 3 it says, and I and disclaimer, I'm coming from the New International Version. If I go to a different version to push a point, I will definitely let you guys know for those of you following along. Then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. Speed to the spoil, hurry to the plunder. For before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. So the person he said he had, Ahaz was looking to come save him and the one that God told him going to turn, turn on him is basically he said that's going to be the one that's carrying away the treasures of the two kings that you're running from, the two kingdoms that you're running from. We spoke about this more so in depth as far as like the sons of Isaiah's names being the prophecy in episode four. And Isaiah's other son, Shir Jashub, means a remnant shall return. And it can speak to what was spoken at the end of chapter 7 in verses 21 and 22. In that day, a person would carry alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, there will be enough curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey off of a young cow and two goats. That's how many people is going to be left, is what he was telling them in that prophecy in chapter 7. So he's still giving them the game as we go back to chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. This is where he actually mentions Jesus. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep into Judah, swirling around it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its widespread wings will cover the breast of your land, Emmanuel. So even though he's addressing certain people in this chapter, he's mentioning Jesus in it. He's pointing to his son. He's like, son, this is your land. These are the, these are the people that I'm going to have you here to save. So this is what's going to happen, though. And he's still telling them right now, yo, I'm still pointing to my son. Emmanuel is what he said that the virgin would name her son from chapter 7. So he's still pointing to Jesus even in chapter 8 when he's talking about what's going to happen on the land to Ahaz in the sight or through the lips of Isaiah. So when we talk about verse 9 and 10 in chapter 8, he says, Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. 
Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered, said it twice. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And that's when I raise my hand like, God, who is us? <laughs> I'm like, who is this us? And as I pretty much means that the people that God is going to use as his instrument to perform this judgment, which is in case the Assyrians. Even though Isaiah is the one saying it, he's talking about it in the form of the Assyrians saying that God is with us because everything that comes against what God has already planned out to make happen, it will not, it won't work. He said, do what you got to do. Try what you got to try. But my will will be done is what God is saying right here. And then as he said, they prep for the incoming invasion in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 8. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. So as we double down on this in verse 19 of chapter 8, it says, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spirits who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Then further in verse 22 of chapter 8, it says, Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Now, I think about it when I see this 12 to 13 talking about don't call a conspiracy what they call a conspiracy, don't fear what they fear. I feel like that's, that has a lot to do with our time. Don't look into what, what can't be founded, what ain't true, what can't be proven. Don't look into that. Don't look into those things that everybody else is scared of because the thing that they're scared of is the thing that I'm, I'm looking to bless the land with. I'm looking to bring people out with this. And that's how God works. So I feel like that right there, those two verses, 12 and 13, is basically what can play today in what we're dealing with pandemic whatever's going on in the world we can't feed into what the public is telling us it is because we know god is at work god has been in control the entire year we are at december of 2020 which some people canceled off at january of 2020 march of 2020 july of 2020 when things still wasn't getting right people still felt like it wasn't gonna get nowhere and they wanted to cancel it off and i said man it's november it is time for y'all to get out of your shell Get out of yourself and realize that God's still in control. So up out of all my people that's been saying God is in control just like I have the entire year. Because if I said what I had to say about what I did and what I've been through in this year, guess what? God has been in control the entire time. And this pandemic was a blessing. It ain't been a blessing to everybody, but at the same time, you, it's all what you call a blessing, what you see a blessing to be. Not to get on my soapbox, let's jump right into chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, as you see, he left off with fear, gloom, doom. In chapter 8, so nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nation by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And that light points right to Jesus because in Matthew chapter 4 verses 13 through 16 it says this leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah <laughs> land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles the people living in darkness have seen a great light 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And this is talking about how the ministry of Jesus started in Galilee. In Matthew, it shadowed it out to right there to where it started to take place from a prophecy hundreds of years before. And as we go back to Isaiah 9, verse 3, it says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, this particular part, the warriors dividing the plunder, it hit me different. <laughs> and that's a different type of joy. And if you, let me ask you this question. Have you ever hit a lick before? <laughs> Have you ever hit a lick? Some people know what I'm talking about. They ain't too far removed. Everybody got a pass. But at the same time, if you ain't never hit a lick, I'm going to take it back to church right quick. Touch a neighbor and ask him, what the lick read? <laughs> Yo, because a warrior rejoicing over what they done came up on, that's a different type of joy, man. I'm talking to somebody out there. And as we continue on in verse 4 of chapter 9, it says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, this is talking about Gideon and the Midianites in Judges chapter 7. Now, I tell you the truth, this is the original 300 story for me. Leonidas ain't got nothing on this, you dig? Because <laughs> the thing about it is, in Judges 7, Gideon started with way more than 300. But God evened it out, chopped it down to the point that 300 was enough to take down a whole kingdom. And if you read that story for yourself, you're going to be like, yeah, this is a real warrior story right here. And they, I don't even think they had to touch nobody at the beginning. It just scared them up until the point God had them being turning their swords on each other, killing them off. Like, I'm going to have them kill itself off for you. Just do what I say. Man, that's some obedience working for you if I ain't never seen it right there. Judges 7, check that out. Gideon and the Midianites. He said they're going to rejoice and shatter the yoke and the burden and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressors just like that. You ain't even got to touch them first. They're going to touch themselves. And I feel like that's a situation God puts a lot of us in. He's like, man, if you, if you obey my instructions, if you don't force your hand, do what I say, I'm going to take care of them for you. And then we go back to chapter 9, verse 5, it says, Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So you're talking about being fuel for the fire. Me being a real-life soldier, I thought about this a little different as well. That every garment in blood part, it had me kind of heated at first because I'm like, yo, people put their life on the line out there in them fields, right? People, some people paid the ultimate sacrifice, as we call it, and didn't get to come back home with their eyes open. You dig what I'm saying? So it kind of hit me different. And I was like, I was asking God, like, oh, okay, whose blood and whose garments are you talking about, Lord? I need to understand this. Your way is your way, but at the same time, I ain't going to lie like I don't feel some kind of way as a soldier hearing that part about every garment being rolled in blood. It kind of made me uneasy, but I know it was a plan to it. So when I looked at the message Bible and it goes to verse five, it says the boots of all those invading troops it didn't make it any better because they look at us as invading troops anyway, far as Americans, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood will be piled in a heap and burned a fire that will burn for days. I'm like, oh, OK, I get it. I get it. Those were the ones that were doing the oppressing. Those were the ones that were doing the dirt. And it said their shirts were stained with innocent blood. But it's like, yeah. They're going to be fueled for the fire. Those shirts and those boots ain't going to be no more stumping down on my people. And it makes a lot more sense as we go to verse six, where he says, for to us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of 
peace. So a lot of us, off assumption, we already know that he's talking about Jesus on this one. But for those of us who may still not really be sure, that is a name that we've given Jesus. So I had to go in there, dive into it myself and kind of find out, hey, if he's going to be called all these names, we call Jesus the Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, all these things in song, hymns, and spiritual song, things like that. But where does it say that in the Bible for my people who are just getting into it? You dig what I'm saying? I don't want to lose nobody. So I asked the question for you. And then we look at Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 18 are the verses. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And this is just pointing as one example where it says Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. But then Jesus himself is going to have to put it up there to let people know it's real. On John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus himself says, the peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to y'all Jesus, the gentleman and the hustler. Because <laughs> basically Jesus said, this piece right here, this piece right here, <laughs> you ain't going to find it on eBay. Amazon don't even deliver this. eBay ain't going to have it. You ain't going to find it on black market. This piece right here is exclusive, man, and I'm going to give it to you. I ain't even got to sell it to you. I'm going to give it to you. It's so good. I'm going to let you try it, man. <laughs> As it said right there in the word, straight no chaser. He gave us the peace. That, and so he, him being the prince of peace, that means he had a good supply of it is what I'm, I'm banking on. And he's telling us that right here. Because in one verse, he is our peace. And then Jesus himself is telling us, I'm going to give it to you because it's mine. I got it. But guess what? I'm going to give it to you. If that don't tell you how good God is, man, check it out. I got another verse for you, and this should do the trick. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this even solidifies it even more, letting you know that Jesus is the plug and the peace. And let me tell you how good the peace is if you ain't never tried it. It's the peace that passes all understanding. Like, I done been in some situations where I didn't understand why I was cool. Everything around me felt like it was burning down. But at the same time, I was cool. I truly knew I was good on the inside. And people will look at you the same way when you get this peace. And they're going to wonder, why you ain't mad? Because you have that peace that they can't comprehend just yet. You got the peace that you can't really comprehend, but you know where it comes from. That type of kind of peace, that type of product right there, yeah. And it's free of charge. All you got to do is ask for it. Man, you can't beat that with a stick. That's real life provision. That's God's love in its purest form, giving you peace of mind when you feel like a few seconds ago you could have blew your brains out. And that's just real life, no story but comparison. As I looked at the second term that I know we frequent to tag Jesus with, it's wonderful counselor. And then I thought about it. We do it in psalms, hymns, and some people just say it just out of necessity or habit. You know what I'm saying? And 
a lot of us have not had that experience to know how wonderful of a counselor Jesus is and just say it because it sounds good for somebody we hold in such high regard. And I, I, I know you're shy. So I raised my hand and asked God the question. I'm like, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? And he pointed me to Judges chapter 13, verse 17 through 18. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Now, I don't believe he was saying it's a foreign language or nothing like that. He was just saying it's beyond understanding. And I still couldn't understand fully, so I raised my hand again. God, it still ain't telling me nothing because I know a lot of y'all like, Excel, where it say wonderful at? Uh, Message Bible is where he pointed me to. Them same two verses out of Judges chapter 13. 17 and 18 are the verses. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful and miraculous. So, wonderful here is just a synonym for miraculous. And as it goes to be synonymous with the NIV version, it says beyond understanding. So, that gives us context as to what wonderful actually is when it's relating to this wonderful counselor we talk about in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, pointing to Jesus. Still ain't giving you enough evidence? Well, let's go further into John chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, this is Jesus talking now, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So I'm like, all right, you're talking about an advocate now. We know we're talking about the Holy Spirit, those of you who have read the Bible. Some of you who may not have, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. After he ascends into heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit now. But he still calls him an advocate right here. Where's the wonderful? Where's the counselor, Excel? Stick with me. I'm going to take you some places. He pointed me to the Amplified Classic Edition. Where it says, but when the comforter or counselor or helper or advocate or intercessor or strengthener or standby comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes and proceeds from the Father, he himself will testify regarding me. So it says, I'm going to send you this counselor, but I can't be here to send him to you. He ain't come until I get up out of here. So for him to have that kind of cloud, it had to be something that was attached to Jesus because they couldn't be there at the same time. He had to spend that spirit, that counselor down. So for it to be so miraculous and him to be called a miraculous counselor or wonderful counselor, we put those two verses together to see that he had the authority to send this counselor down, this spirit down. But it's in the word where it says he could not be here. And it could not come down until Jesus left earth. So Jesus said that itself. And basically, we look at that as him being the wonderful counselor. It had to be a part of him. It had to be attached to him. And we know what Jesus can do. We knew he could do miracles. We see it in his word all the time. We see him doing miracles. And so with him being such a miraculous counselor, he was able to send a spirit to counsel us, to help us, to be an advocate, an intercessor, a strengthener, a standby. And we know those of us who have felt the Holy Spirit and known the Holy Spirit to do his work when we try to understand and overstand a lot of things that we go through that don't make sense to us in the natural. We, we know he's a counselor. We know he's all those things. And what he used at the beginning, he's an advocate. And in the amplified version, he said he's a comforter. I'll send a comforter. I'll send somebody to make sure you straight. Because I'm not going to be here with you to be able to do it with you and walk through with you physically. So I'm going to have to send the spirit of truth. 
down to you. So that's basically what he was saying. So Jesus being addressed as the wonderful counselor in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 makes more sense. Because if we look at wonderful in its true form as being miraculous or full of wonder and knowing that Jesus had pulled to send the spirit of truth and address it as a counselor, it makes more sense that Jesus is considered a wonderful counselor in this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Then it goes to the one I had the most questions about when it said mighty God. As you go to John chapter 14, verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. And then I, had, I need a deeper meaning. So at the same time, I went to the Amplified Version Classic Edition once again for the same verse. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the very works themselves. If you cannot trust me, at least let the works that I do in my Father's name convince you. Just as we talked about wonderful being miraculous, then we talked about the fact that he could send the spirit of truth down, which he called the counselor. And now the mighty God part of it, folding back into those things, he's looking at it and saying, yo, if you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe the miracles. Miraculous. Tying all in together. Calling him the mighty God. He said, if you're talking about I am from the Father, the Father is in me. And he's talking about the Father being the almighty God that they already knew about throughout history. He was saying, if you got those examples from your forefathers and your ancestors that the almighty God done that, let the miracles that I'm doing in front of you be enough evidence to tell you that I got pulled with that same almighty God. That's basically what it come down to. As we go back to Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, it says of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's that peace again. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever and ever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And it's saying it right there. Even if they don't know who this person is that's supposed to be coming, the one that Isaiah is prophesying about, it said the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. Whatever we said, this, this son that we we're given is going to be born as our savior. Whatever we say is going to happen and what he's going to do, God's going to accomplish it. That should put the stamp on it right there. So as we close this part of the chapter, because I didn't do the whole chapter, I felt like we should just point to Jesus in this one. And this is where it actually ends as far as his prophecy. After this, it talks about more gloom and doom. And I don't want to bring us down. I want us to focus on what the reason for the season is. And this is where it actually stops in that chapter. We're talking about Jesus and being the prophecy and things like that. So if we look at it as I conclude. The prophecy of Jesus coming is an end to the war. We talked about them throwing the boots away and the blood and the, the shirt soaked in innocent blood being burned as fuel for the fire. He's saying the prophecy because before a son is born to us, he's saying the prophecy Jesus coming is an end to the war. See, I never understood the lyrics to the old song. I ain't going to study war no more. Down, off down by the riverside. Some of y'all may have heard, down by the riverside, won't study war no more. Yeah, I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit, but at, the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, it says, I ain't gonna study war no more. I never understood that until I, un until I dived into it and researched for this very, very episode to find out that it's in the word from Isaiah chapter two, verse four. And he will judge between the nations and he will mediate disputes for many people. 
and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up the sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Now that right there is in the word. It's telling us straight up and down. I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to learn war no more. And in other translations, it's not going to train for war, prepare for war no more. We won't have to. Even though we see physical wars right now, yes, excel. Ain't you a soldier? Ain't you been in the army? Ain't you been overseas? Yes, I have. By the grace of God, I'm here to talk to you today. But at the same time, he's telling them right here in prophecy, you won't study war no more. Jesus came so that the war would end. Jesus came as an end to the war as prophesied in Isaiah. So even if we don't see it right here in our physical world just yet, God's word ain't failed. God's word ain't failed us. And as Dr. Billy Albrook told me one time, he said, God never defaults on a promise. So we may be living in the time where we see these wars cease because Jesus says time to stop. The shirt soaked in innocent blood. The warrior's boots burn. That's fuel for the fire. It's going to be that much. So we're grateful that we get to celebrate this season. I told you, man, December, we've made it through 2020. People need to stop canceling this year out because we're almost through it. You're here for a reason. I want to encourage somebody out there. I don't want to preach. I just want to encourage somebody out there. Pray you got the word. I pray the word is with you. Let the Holy Spirit soak in you. Help you to understand it even better if I was going a little bit too fast. I thank you guys for joining me once again. I pray you go in peace. Peace on your journey. Favor over your life. Covering and a wedge of protection over everything you touch. I promise that in the name of Jesus. I thank you guys for joining me as we rightly divided this word of truth. I'm none other than your brother XL Wilbur. This is Church with a Double Cup. I pray you guys a safe holiday wherever it takes you, wherever it keeps you. I pray the Lord keeps you covered. And just know, bring your friends, bring your family next time. Let them know. Living water is flowing. It's effervescent. It's all over the place. So if you got a double cup, guess what? Divide that up. Hand them a cup and let them get some of this living water. You can't be stingy with it because as Christ said, freely I receive, freely I give. Dig that. Blessings. You have just listened to Church with a Double Cup, the podcast, hosted by XL Wilbur. This show is recorded in Wilbur Dome, North Carolina. The theme song is Church with a Double Cup by Chief Reach. XL Wilbur can be followed on social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram, under XL Inspiration and the XL Wilbur YouTube channel. Website soon to come. Thank you for your continued support. Bless you. Yeah, I'm leaving at the church with my double cup. Yeah, I'm leaving at the church with my double cup. Yeah, I'm leaving at the church with my double cup. Yeah, I'm leaving at the church with my double cup. Yeah, I'm leaving at the church with my double cup. Back to Rikers Ave, all my people know what's up.